You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Go ahead and clap your hands, all ye people. And if you know how to shout, shout unto God with a voice of victory. And let's honor him who is our way maker, our water walker, our miracle worker, our heavy load bearer, our heavy burden sharer, our friend that sticks closer than a brother, our day star, our bright and early morning star, that when it's darkest in your life, he'll light up your path, he'll be a lamp to your feet, he'll show you the way. He won't only tell you what to do, but he'll come and give you the power to do it. If you love him, that he has a plan over your life, just do like this and let heaven know that that plan is working out the details even the things the enemy threw at you even the silly things that you did wrong it's all working together for the good of them who love god and are the called according to his purpose if you're glad that that is your god and go ahead one more time from deep inside your belly give him your biggest shout turn with me to genesis 41 put a bookmark there genesis 40 put a bookmark there Genesis 39, put a bookmark there, and Genesis 37. We'll start reading at 37 with verse 4. But let me say this to you. Sometimes I've watched people get this close to destiny's series of events and then quit because a series of bad things happened to them. And nothing could be so misjudgmental of the circumstance that you quit when the trial of your faith was allowed by God so that the enemy could test your faith. Whether in real, real dugouts, real trenches, you will still believe God over your five senses. You'll still trust him. And what I'm, I'm going to work with you in this morning is to help you believe in a God who is trustworthy. This is critical, so let's read. We're using as a case study somebody who I've been talking about very recently in Lagos, and I love to talk about him because he's the best prototype of Jesus Christ. I speak of Joseph, the son of Jacob, the great-grandson of Abraham. And I start my reading in Genesis 37 and verse... Four. I'll jump around in there a little bit. Um, we're going to be reading for a while. So you stand after this. That one's on you. Jacob loved Joseph for a good reason. He was the first son of the woman he wanted to marry, but was slipped a dud instead of her. And he loved the woman he wanted to marry so much that he was willing to work for, some people calculated as 14 years, some calculated as 21 years. But whichever way, he loved her enough to wait that long. And um, the first wife, Leah, bore him several children and so did her house girl and so did Rachel's house girl. And eventually, after closing her womb, he, he did that, God did that, after closing her womb for some time, for many years, 
she eventually sires two children for him and dies in the childbirth of the second. But the wonderful thing about God is that even though Joseph should have been born first, and he was born 11th, that's first on a new level, new covenant, yeah, uh, God switched the stage so that the first became last and the last became first. Let me do this quickly. I need 12 men. 12 men, come quickly. If you're a man and you're in the first three rows, come as quickly as you can, except Pastor Tammy. Please come, gentlemen. And I want you to line up facing that direction. And I think I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Eleven is fantastic. So, you're a nice guy. I'm going to make you last. I don't want to preach this. I just wanted to show you the graphics. So, he's Joseph. And this is Reuben. Reuben is the firstborn. And normally when you want to go from first to last, you have to do like David, pursue, overtake, and then recover on. That's one method. But that's not God's method for you. When he wants to switch you from first to last and last to first, he doesn't give you overtaker's power. He just changes the game plan. And so acceleration, which we will talk about sometime today, is not always what you think it is. So all, what he does is he takes Joseph and his two sons, whose ways in the back, and this gentleman, Reuben, is firstborn by birthright. But it was a birthright that shouldn't have been. The birthright always should have been his. God doesn't always correct everything in the moment you want, but eventually at the right time, he will switch it. Look at two people, slap them a high five and tell them the switch is on. And what he does is he says, concerning the 12 sons, the 12th is not yet born. Concerning the 12 sons of Israel, the 12th is not yet born. He says, you guys have been going the wrong way. You haven't been going in the way of destiny. Because I'm building something out of this lineage that will become a nation of not just 12 boys, not just 72 uh, family clan members, but it's going to be nearly 3 million by the time I bring you out of the incubator called Egypt. And because you've been going in the wrong direction, what he says is, I'm not going to get you to overtake to become first. It's easier for me to turn it by just saying, guys, about turn. And the first has become last, but the last has become first. I don't know who you are or where you are, but you might be the bottom woman or the bottom man on the totem pole. But God is about to do something in somebody's life that is going to astonish folk. And that means that most of these guys here are going to be jealous of the guy over there. And don't let the jealousy affect you negatively because the jealousy is also in God's plan. The jealousy will teach you that you have no business putting more trustworthiness in the arm of flesh.
but you can put your faith and your trust and your hope on him who is the rock of ages, the cleft for me, that I can hide myself in him. And whatever he said, even when it looks like I'm last, it's going to become first. If you don't believe it, say nothing. But if you do believe it, I want you to holler to God. Let the devil hear you. Let hell's hounds hear you. Let heaven's angels hear you. Let God in whom you trust, let him hear you. So you get to go to your Cephas. Thank you, gentlemen. Joseph is leading the way. It's appointed to him in that generation to lead the way. Abraham produced the seed. Isaac passed the seed. Jacob proliferated the seed. And Joseph preserved the seed. Let's look at the life of the preserver. Genesis chapter 37 and from verse 4. And the scripture reads, or uh, Moses reads, or writes, I read. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren because of the colored coat, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. You know how sometimes you bump into people and you know they've been talking nasty about you behind your back. You can just tell. You know why it normally is? Because you're not a Negro that doesn't look like you're going nowhere. There's something about your, your walk, your eyes, your fervor, your faith, your deep sense that this too will pass and one day I won't be in the pit anymore. And they don't like that about you. And then you have the cocky audacity to tell them your dream. And if you don't tell your dream, you're not writing it on the tables of men's hearts. And it was part of God's innovation to ensure that he told his dream and that the dream would get him into trouble and put him in a pitiful state. It was necessary. Otherwise, he would not get to the bus stop that was going to take him to the location, the geographic location for his destiny's fulfillment. Hallelujah. Verse 5, and Joseph dreamed a dream. This is on top of the colored coat. So the coat probably had something to do with instigating the dream. And he told his dream to his brothers, and they hated him yet the more. Verse 8, and his brethren said to Joseph, are you indeed going to reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. If they don't hate you, you ain't talking about your dream. Verse 19, and 20. Joseph dreamed two dreams to make it worse. Verse 19 and 20 of the same chapter. So here's Joseph. He's been sent on an errand to go and see how his brothers are faring, just like David. And on his way afar off, we read the text. And the brothers saw him and said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Can I pause for a moment? I'm already preaching if you want, want to know. Uh, some of you here are comers. And when you are a comer, you are a hungry fighter. You are a hungry pugilist. You don't go to the battle uh, or to the boxing ring or to the wrestling bout uh, with, I've got this one in hand. You are hungry. 
not just for food because you don't have enough, not just for, for the accoutrements of being a soldier in the battlefield for God, but because you are hungry for the crown. You are hungry for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus upon your life. You are hungry for it. You don't want to live to 50 and not find your pathway. You don't want to live to 60 and not accomplish significant portions of your destiny. You don't want to get to 70 and feel like you climbed the wrong ladder and never fulfilled your destiny. Hunger. This was Joseph. They called him a comer. I wonder if there are any comers here. I wonder. You're not there yet and you know it. And it might have taken you 20 years, might have taken you 30 years, but you're still hungry for God. Show me what you made me for. Show me why I didn't die a crib death. Show me why I didn't die in a car accident. Show me why I'm here. And he said, here comes this dreamer. Come now. Verse 20. And let us kill him and cast him into some pit and we will say some evil beast has devoured him and we shall see what shall become of his dreams they were prophesying and they didn't know it chapter 37 verse 31 32 and 36 31 says and they took joseph's coat they took his id this is the doctrine of identity here. And they killed a baby goat. That's what kid there means. Probably a male, probably firstborn, probably without blemish, probably without spot. Whenever you see that in the scripture, it's a shadow cast by the light of Christ. So this is Jesus in the shadow. And they dipped the coat in blood. That's the identity of Joseph. Because you can't be my substitute for the judgment I am supposed to get unless you have my identity. So Jesus took, God took your identity so that when he died your death, it would be as if you had died your death. Can I pause? I'm already preaching, I know you're standing. I had two uncles, Femi and Dotu Oyewole. They were brilliant um, uh, academicians and they looked identical. You couldn't tell them apart. Even their wives struggled all the way up to age 60. Does anybody know of the Oyewale twins? They were contemporaries of my late dad. They're about 100 years old now. It would be um, if they were still here. And what they used to do, Pastor Tammy, they would sit each other's exams. They'd sign each other's checks at the bank. They would, not, not to be perverse or ulterior in motive, they would date each other's girlfriends because one was not available he sent his brother to go and talk, tell him how to act and this is where we are and they knew everything about each other they had identical brains anyway they were not fraternal they were identical and why could they do that because they had the same identity even their thumbprint you had to have software to tell it apart and so you couldn't tell their thumbprint apart in that day without really magnifying it and this is what jesus did he took your identity so when he got killed for everything all of us did wrong, it was in our identity that he did it. That's why one death couldn't hold him. And because he's joined to you as head to body, death couldn't hold you back either. And redemption happened as a result. And that's why Joseph's story is amazing. And so, uh, I'm, I lost my... Verse 31, and they took Joseph's coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in blood. And that blood signified 
to them that Joseph was dead and they would never see him again. When their daddy sees the bloody coat, they'll never see Joseph. He'll never see Joseph either. What they didn't realize is that killing that goat, it assured that Joseph's destiny will come to pass. Because there was the blood of a perfect substitute sacrifice with the full identity of Joseph that died in his place. So if Joseph had done anything wrong, it would not be counted against him. Instead, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be counted upon Joseph even before Jesus was incarnate. Are you here? Verse 32. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it into their father and said, this have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat. And what they're trying to tell him is this guy you loved over us, he gone now. What are you going to do? Yeah. What they didn't realize is that the blood spoke better things than the blood of Abel. And that what it was saying is that Joseph is going to come back. And by the time he comes back, he'll be a totally different person from the person that went down into the pit. Verse 36. And the Midianites, uh, uh, in, in the account it was actually the Ishmaelites, sold him into Egypt onto Potiphar. By the way, Abraham's mistake was part of God's plan. Because Ishmael, his descendants were the ones who took Joseph to his destiny. Shout at somebody, tell them it's all in the plan. And we're now at chapter 39. And we're looking at verse 20. Chapter 39 and verse 20. Joseph has come into Egypt. He's bought by Potiphar as a slave. And... He had to be a slave because he would have run away if they didn't chain him. So God will drag you to your destiny. He will chain you, hands and feet, so you can't go anywhere else but where he determines. That is only if you are a child of purpose. And knowing that he has purposed you uniquely, you have fallen in love with him. A love that cannot be abated. And so in verse 20, he's go, oh, sorry, he's gone through a false accusation and we pick up the story in verse 20. And Joseph's master took Joseph on a false accusation and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in prison. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Can I take another pause? The preaching won't be too long, so don't worry about that. There's something called the mercy of God, and there's something else called the favor of God or the goodness of God. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of the shadow of death, I shall fear no, for thou art with me, you're rolling yourself, they do comfort me, etc. I notice my head with all, my cup runs over, uh, and, and all of that, and he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, not some. Not many, not most, not my early years, not my old years, all the days of my life. What is he saying? Goodness is this. Goodness is when God gives you what you don't deserve. Some of you don't deserve a new car. 
Some of you don't deserve a promotion raise. Some of, you, some of us don't deserve to be alive today. Some of us shouldn't have a crown on our head and favor everywhere we turn. Some of us shouldn't have angels in their thousands attending to our pathway, our purpose, and all that concerns us. And God, however, chose to show you his grace or his goodness and give you what you don't deserve. Hallelujah. So you ought to be expectant for surprises every day in your life. But there's also something called mercy. And this is how God looks after you because you are color-coated. You are the beloved of the Lord. Hallelujah. And mercy is when what you do deserve that was meant to kill you, God blocked it. What you do deserve that was meant to stymie you, God blocked it. That the things you did wrong that were meant to mess up your life and Satan had legitimacy because there was a lawful charge but God blocked it. Can I release something over your life tonight or today? Everything that you ever did wrong, it will not be consequential in your life because God wants to show you that he's madly in love with you and that he created you to be the object of his love. I want to tell you God blocked it. It has been blocked. That's how come you see a car accident uh, on your way to where you're going. And it happened before you got there. The enemy might have meant it for you. There are things that you are panicking and suffering anxiety attacks over that you have no business being anxious about them. You know why? God blocked it. When did he block it? On the cross of Calvary. He blocked it. And he said, that's not enough. I'm also now going to start giving you what you don't deserve. But to get it, you have to believe it. All right? So, verse 23. Sorry, verse 22. And the keeper of the prison committed Joseph's hand, into Joseph's hand, all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. That means he was in charge. Everywhere Joseph went to, he would rise. Put him at the bottom of his father's house, he rose. Put him in a pit, he rose. Put him in Egypt, everywhere in Egypt he went to, he rose. In Potiphar's house from the bottom, he rose to the top that the madame wanted a piece of him. Then he was falsely accused by her, thrown into the prison, he rose to the top. But he went to the prison, which was not as nice a place as the pit or Potiphar's house for a reason. Sometimes destiny locates you in a place that doesn't feel nice to your five senses, but is the best thing for your destiny. Why? The person who was going to connect him to the king was going to rendezvous with him in the prison. See, some of you will have a trajectory like this, then all of a sudden it takes a dip. Don't be afraid of the dip. Your life is still in God's hand. And it might not be luxury that's God's, God's concern at that point. It's connectivity to your ori his original plan for your life. Look at somebody, tell them I'm safe in God's hands. Even when I take a licking, I can keep on ticking because I'm safe in God's hands. Even when I go through a pit, a prison, or, or a false accusation, I can handle it because I know I am in God's hands. This too, like the pit, it will pass. Like Potiphar's house, it will pass. Like the prison, it will pass. The palace is on its way. The palace is on its way. You there? And he meets the butler there and things happen for him. 
And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under Joseph's hand because the Lord was with Joseph and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. You can go through stuff that makes you feel like God is not with you. Hmm? Genesis 40, verse 23. Joseph has negotiated with the butler, please tell the king to get me out of here. I didn't do anything wrong. And the butler comes out on Joseph's word and he forgets. Shout at somebody, tell him it's all in the plan. Because if he came out then, sure enough, he would never have become the premier of Egypt, the most influential man in executive office across the whole world. It was not the right time. I want you to say this to me, Heavenly Father, give me everything that you want me to have. But please take as much time as you want to. Because it's always best to wait for your time. So that even though you've made my blessing ready, you take your time to make me ready for my blessing. You know why, friends? Because if you get it before your time, you might not be ready to handle it. Now, what was meant to be a blessing to you ends up being a curse to you. So lift your two hands and say, God, please take your time. I don't want anything you have for me until it is in your time. Hallelujah. And then uh, chapter 41. I'm not going to read it because I've already spent too much time. Pharaoh has a dream two years later and he has two of them. And he's troubled by it and none of his soothsayers and magicians are able to interpret the dream. They don't know what it means. Uh, it's been put outside their reach. Hallelujah. But at that time, when Pharaoh is frustrated and irritated, his butler, who always sees his countenance, says to him, I have done wrong. There's a Hebrew boy who has no business being in your prison, and he uh, can tell you your dream. I am certain of it. And all of a sudden, the door opened up. This year, 2024, Hebrew 5784, your doors are going to open. That amen sounds like London. I want a kingdom. Amen. I said this year, 5784 and the year 2024, all your doors are going to open. That amen still sounds like London. I want a kingdom of heaven. Amen. Come on, do a little better. For everybody who says their longest, strongest, amen, is going to happen for you sooner than later. If you believe it, shout amen. And I want you to give me Genesis 42, 36. And that's my last scripture. Then we can talk. Genesis 42, 36. Genesis 42, 36. I hope I get it on the screen if you can. Not to worry. Is it, it, Tim, is it going to show here? 42, Genesis 42, 36. I, I'm passing on Genesis 41. So Joseph has become king. Jacob's other sons have come to Egypt and they met a Pharaoh guy there who gave them grain. But he also interrogated himself. 
you must be spies. He said, no, we're not spies. We're 12 sons. We've lost one. You know the story. And uh, he says to, to them, all right, uh, if you're telling me the truth, there's another boy there. Bring him to me, but I'm going to hold Simeon as shorty. Yeah. And the boys go home with grain to go and collect Benjamin, and they inform their dad. Their dad says something profound. He says something profound. Let's read it together. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Can you identify with Jacob? Well, there's just so much going on since Putin started this war with I don't know who and then Buhari did his thing there and everybody's gone crazy in the world and it's affecting the global ecosystem and its economies. And we're all in this funny thing that's going on, but that doesn't stop God from doing what he wants to do in your life. And unfortunately, we sometimes conclude because of all that's going negative for so long with some ups, many downs in our lives that all these things are against us. Why was this so in Joseph, Jacob's life? Because he's a patriarchal third generation. And when he looks at his, his 12 sons, he sees no hope of any of these boys carrying the baton to the next level. He doesn't see his role as accomplished because his boys are just crazy. They're all political. Um, they're from a polygamous family of five mothers, so they can't stand each other. It's, it's horrendous in the space. And the good guy, He's dead as far as Joseph is concerned. Simeon will probably die as far as he's concerned because a Pharaoh has a Hebrew. And now they want to take his only remaining love child or baby child from the wife he loved who is now dead. He says, all these things are against me. My subject this morning, I want you to tell three people, none of these things are against me. None of these things are against me. Try it again, but this time put it in, in the second person. Tell your neighbor, I know you've been going through hell, but none of these things are against you. Our Father, bless your word to the understanding of your people. Help me to be as succinct as possible and cause this word to not only be in their hearing, but to be riveted to the fabric of their lives. For truly my heart is indicting a godly matter and my spirit overflows with a goodly theme. Bring it forth to your people. Be with my tongue and my mind. Make them altogether nimble to declare, thus saith the Lord to your people. Make it both apostolic and prophetic. Tell us what you want us to hear, but also give us the power to believe it and to do it and to function in our sonship. We pray in Jesus' mighty name and the people of God said a big amen. You may be seated in God's presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The beautiful thing about our God is that he is an intentional God. And that means he has good intentions for you, but how many of you know good intentions do not always come to pass? Even though he put a 15 carat diamond ring on her finger and promised her he was going to marry her because he came from a very strong royal family. But by the time they checked out her DNA and looked at her to see whether she could carry as the womb of the princely children that the family wanted him to sire for ruling their nation, they found out that she was not suited. And in spite of his 
commitment to her, he was unable to maintain that commitment. Because when men promise you things, their promises are not infallible. They are not necessarily going to happen. They might happen. They may happen. But they do not always happen. But when God makes a promise to you, it's going to happen because he already did it before he told you about it. He already set it up to happen in time so that at the appointed time, regardless of where you are, it's going to happen. So he also assumes the responsibility to get you ready for what he has in store for you. Even if you go the wrong way, Jonah, the wrong way will become the right way. So that you end up at the shores of Nineveh with the kind of anointing you need that you can only get from the belly of a whale to do what he called you to do in Nineveh till the people you said, Jonah, would never repent, repent because I put you in the whale first. And I foreknew that you were going to go the opposite way, but I incorporated it into my plan. And God knows how to speak any language. He speaks frog. He speaks lice. He speaks boil. He speaks hailstone. And Jonah, he speaks fish. He knows how to talk to anything in creation, including the things that are inanimate, but everything that's animate. God knows how to get through to everything around you till it concerts together to make sure his plan comes to pass. But God is intentional and it's good. But an intentional God is not good enough for me. I need his intentionality, but I need more. The good thing about God is that he's also a master planner. When he has intentions, he begins to plan how those intentions will come to pass. And because he has the benefit of foreknowledge of every single moment, day, second, year, decade, and period of your life, your proclivities, your propensities, and everything about you, he foreknows all your decisions before you make them. And based on that, He's able to incorporate your way into his plan so that it works out according to the counsel of his will. In fact, Paul told us that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, what's the difference between an intentional person and a planner? I used to be an architect, still am, but not brick and mortar any longer. And we have five phases of delivering a project to the client. So the client says, I want a five-bedroom mansion. I want a three-bedroom guest chalet. I want two pools. I want this, that, and the other. And we put together for him a schematic design. The design is for the client. And if he likes it, and we show it to him in renderings and in, in videos and all the rest of that, he says, I like this. And he signs off on it, and we take it to the next level. The next level is this. We go from schematic drawings to design development, where we're actually fitting the spaces, sizing the spaces, creating the volumes, and everything, including the texture of the fabric, the walls, the surfaces, and everything. Uh, and we're taking into consideration what he wants and we present him the scheme so he can live in the space, walk him through the space through a, a, a video diagram. Hallelujah. When he signs off on that, we go to the third level, which is not for him, it's for the builders. It's called construction documents or working drawings. Those drawings are not for the client, they are for the builders to make what was abstract now concrete so that they follow the instructions and it's going to happen. Can I get a witness? So the good thing about your God is that he's intentional, but the better thing about him, he is a planner, and at that, the master planner, so that everything that went wrong in your life that you don't know yet because you haven't lived your life yet, but he's seen all of your life, he's able to incorporate it into the plan. Hallelujah to God. Please give me a witness. 
and that's why there are things you did wrong, but by the time God has used what you did wrong to work out your destiny, it make you think that you, he made you do wrong, but he's never the author of wrong. But he knows how to implicate it. He knows how to incorporate it into his plan so that when you look back, it will seem like as if God was the one who made you do what was wrong. And because you did what was wrong, your heart was broken. Your heart became pliable. Your heart became supple to the dictates of God. And now you're in the right frame of mind and you're also in the right place at the bottom of the belly of a whale. And the kind of prayer you pray in the bottom of a whale's belly is anointed. It's desperate. And sometimes God wants you to be desperate in how you seek his face. And he, he talks to God. God doesn't talk back to him. God talks to the fish. Because he wants you to trust him. And he also wants you to know, my way, as it concerns you, I will have my way. You know how you do your wife? How you always want to have your way? God said, that's like me. The only difference is that your ways and my ways are not the same. I'm good, you are still becoming good. Ha hallelujah. So wives, don't be afraid. Hallelujah. And so, that is a planner is important. When you look at Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, he tells us that... I know the plans that I have concerning you, plans of good and not evil to give you the future you are expecting that I gave you to expect. Hallelujah. So when he uses the word plans, which is what the NLT gives us, he's saying to you, I've already calculated every single detail down to the millimeter. Nothing in your life takes me by surprise and nothing that happens in your life is going to upset my plan or the fulfillment of the plan. Hallelujah. So a God who is both intentional and a master planner is wonderful, but he's still not good enough for me because I need a God who's not only intentional and not only a planner, but a performer. That if he has planned it, it's a sign that he has already done it. Because God doesn't start at the beginning, you do. God finishes before he starts. So he starts at the end and then gives you the beginning to work out what is a fixed fight. Hallelujah to God. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Put it on the screen for me. For there he says, he declares the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Declaring to you that my counsel shall stand. And I will fulfill all my purpose concerning your life. Hallelujah to God. Please give me a witness, somebody. Look at a neighbor and say, this is your year of fulfillment. Everything God has designed to do in 2024 concerning your life, it is going to happen. Oh, you ain't helping me. I said, it is going to happen in your life. No matter what went wrong in 23, no matter how much hell you took in 23, no matter how badly damaged you think your faith was, God knows how to help your faith even when it's weakest. Just like he told Peter, he said, come, it is I. And Peter heard him and started walking on top of what nobody could hear and what nobody was willing to dare. It's going to happen. Just keep looking at your pastor, keep looking at me as signposts to Christ you will find that he's telling a story. So, in the plan, we see in Genesis 15, 
that God speaks to a man called Abraham. And the verse is actually verse 14. And he says, Abraham is without child. And to tell him your descendants are going to be captive in Egypt for 400 years. But I don't have a descendant. And you're talking as if they are already there. To God they are. Because he sees the end, the middle, and the beginning all in one glance. And he says they're going to be locked up there for 400 years. They're going to be proliferated there. Then he tells us in Exodus chapter Exodus chapter uh, 12 and verse 40 that they will be in Egypt for 430 years of which 400 will be um, enslavement but at the end there will be a massive exodus now the surgeon of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years and then give me some more give me some more on that very same day, that's the Exodus, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a plan. How do we know it was a plan? He spoke to Moses about it 615 years earlier. Sorry, Abraham about it 615 years earlier. Spoke it again in Exodus to Moses um, uh, 400 and something years earlier because he had a plan. And when he plans something, he tells it to his servants, the prophets, because he will do nothing on earth except he first reveal it to the seers. I hope you're with me. I hope you are. And so this is where Romans 8.28 is critical. Because of Romans 8.29, Romans 8.28 is. So we know that takes some experience that all things work together for the good of them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. The things you didn't want to happen, the things you thought annihilated you, obliterated you, and killed your destiny completely. He says they all work together for those who are the called according to his purpose. In other words, your life is part of a jigsaw puzzle called the grand plan of God's purpose. Hallelujah. So that even the bad and the ugly that God did not order, they will work together for your good because he already incorporated it into the plan. Hallelujah. He saw that the 12 brothers were going to hate Joseph and he did not prevent Jacob from putting the coat of many colors, a symbol of firstborn, on the back of Joseph. And he knew it would elicit the hatred, the envy, and the assassination plot of Joseph. Hallelujah. But God still allowed it. <laughs> Glory to God. Why did he allow it? Because he would find great use for it in taking Joseph, not only to his promise, but making Joseph ready for the promise. So the bad always has a purpose. The ugly always has a purpose and the good always has a purpose in your life. That means you ought not to fret and never be anxious for anything. Uh, but in prayer, thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And though the enemies meant it for evil against Joseph, God took it. He said, I'm going to work it for Joseph's good because he's the master planner. He said, I need to get Joseph out of his father's house because both Joseph and his father think that Joseph's destiny is in Canaan. It is the promised land to them. But they had no business being there for 430 years. 
And if it was going to happen that they would proliferate, he would have to be taken out of there because his destiny was not in that location. There are some of you here, your roots will forever be in London or for a long time be in House on the Rock. But I want to tell somebody here, your branches, your reaches, your extremities will reach far beyond where you are right now because where you are right now cannot sustain the potential of your possibility and purpose. Hallelujah. And sometimes until you leave your father's house, you cannot find the soil that will educate you, will develop you, will strengthen you. You don't have the exposure to to give you all you need to be the top and not the bottom, above only and not beneath, the head only and not the tail. Canaan does not presently have what it takes to make you the leader of the free world. Joseph, that's why you are planted somewhere, but you ask your roots are here, your branches will grow. Oh, that amen sounds like unbelief. That amen sounds like I'm trying to believe. Where are my believers? See, so they intended it for evil, but God worked it according to his plan for not just Joseph's good, but through Joseph for the good of all his brothers. See, God loved all the brothers equally, but he trusted Joseph differently. Joseph had trustworthiness because he was a good steward. So God said, I can trust this guy. Oh, look, oh, he has heart. And if I put him through certain things, he's not going to get bitter and vengeful. He's going to get better and become not just blessed, but a blessing. Half of the trouble you go through is to test you and try you and to forge you till God knows that you know that you're his man, that you're his woman. Hallelujah. Please, somebody give me a witness. Don't make me feel like I wish I was in Lagos. So Joseph has this colored coat. It's specially made as symbolic of a king. Um, and he's the king in the house, but Jacob knows that he's going to be king far beyond the house. Because God has told him that his descendants will be like the stars of the heavens and like the sand on the seashores. And Joseph dons this coat, feeling backwards, feeling regressed, feeling at the bottom of the line or at the back of the line. But his father saying to him, you're the guy. And he's unashamed about it in front of all his other older brothers, 10 in number. You are the guy. Help me and preach to your neighbor. Tell him, you are the one. You didn't say it like you believe it because you want to be the one. Okay, so say it your way. Say, I am the one. Say it loud. I am the one. Say it like you believe that when you say it, it's going to kick in. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the coat starts to do something to Joseph. It starts to do something serious in him. Because the affirmation of your father is as powerful as God the Father saying to Jesus Christ, who was told he was a bastard from when he was born, whose mother was told that this is a slip, this is a flip, this is a, a switch. Um, uh, he was told all kinds of things. He grew up under that load. But he believed God. And he believed that he is God. And the Father... After the fulfillment of prophecy in the Jordan's chilly waters, leans over the balustrades of heaven and heaven's glory king says, this is my beloved son. It was uh, prefigured for us when Joseph was given the colored coat by his father. Please give me a witness. 
because the color code signified that the most powerful person has endorsed me as his proper envoy, as the chief of his envoys, as the crown prince, as the heir of everything God. That's what the code meant. Hallelujah. That everything that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that was now going to fall upon Joseph and multiply in Joseph's life, it was on that boy. Yet there were 10 people in front of him who had more claim to that right than him. Doesn't matter how many people get the interview before you do. Doesn't matter that you are number 547 and there are 546 people who are interviewed before you and that you didn't pass the first one like they did. But friend, whatever is yours, nobody can take it from you. When it's yours, they can try their hardest. They can get to the interview before you. But when God says it's yours, baby, nobody can... Shoot, no go size them. The matter no go reach them. Oh God, I thought I was in Lagos. What I'm really trying to say to you is that even though 546 people might get to the opportunity before you, once God has predesignated it for you, my friend, laugh like the English do. Yeah, yeah. What is mine is mine. Oh, if you are safe, you not jam here, can we? Say, brother. If you like, you can get to the interview before me. There can be 888 of you in the line in front of me. But brother, if the thing is mine, you create to try to take what God has predesignated to my name. Everything is Irene. You see, when they rub oil on your head, which was not the modus in Joseph's story, it was the coat. It's going to make you dream because the coat forecasts your future. The purpose of the, the first coat he gets is to entrench the promise in his thinking. That I'm the promised child and the promise of God for my people, for my nation, and it's on me to fulfill it. And he started dreaming. Because your dreams are the multitude of your thoughts in the day. Joseph was thinking about why did daddy give this thing to me? Why did daddy boldly proclaim me the heir when there are ten in front of me? Why? Why is God doing all this good stuff in your life? In spite of being surrounded by your hateful brothers, what's it about? Why is he doing all this in your life? Open up. Open up and let God do in other words, believe that, yes, I don't deserve it, but I'm open to receive it. That's the story of my life. And the purpose of the, of the color code, Pastor Edbert, it's all about the promise. I want you to do like this. Say, there's a promise over my life. The promise is controlling my life. Nothing surprises the promise in my life. And the promise is hinting me through my dreams and visions and my sensibility to God's word that the promise is going to come to pass in my life. But Joseph thinks it's going to happen anytime now. He doesn't know it's for an appointed time. So he's already feeling like the king. But he's a boy. You've all been there. When the promise came, you were excited and you started walking like it. But God said, before you walk in this thing, your pride over the matter is going to become the opportunity for me allow, to allow your haters to humble you. 
because I cannot give grace to the proud. I give grace to the humble, but I resist the proud. And I have to be able to trust you with greatness, otherwise you will use it to exact on your people instead of help them and uplift them. Half of the work that God does in our life is bringing and breeding humility in us. Because you have to be wounded in places where you were once a critic of others because you can't trust the proud and the unbroken with real power. You can't. He won't do it. He said, a bruised reed you will not break. A smoking flax you will not quench. You're supposed to rekindle the smoking flax and mend the broken reed. Humility is key. And don't worry. If you don't have it, you're going to get it. And almost for every new level, he's going to give you humility. You'll have the kind of problems. You will be humble. <laughs> You'll be sensitive to people who have the problems that you were insensitive to before because now you have the same problem as them. Keep living. Pride goeth before fall. Why does God allow pride to go before the fall of the righteous? So he can teach you humility. Humility is something you get inside. Every idle word you spoke about, that guy or this girl or this person or that boss, you are young. You are very young. Grow. Grow well because you cannot grow old. Most of the critics, they are younger. That's why when they wanted to stone the woman caught in the act, it was the oldest who dropped their stones first. Oh, you just got it. <laughs> keep living. Tell my neighbor, keep living. So he tells his brothers his dream. I can't preach that, but tell somebody, tell, tell your dream. Tell it to your daddy. Tell it to your mommy. Tell it to your hateful brothers. Tell it to your parents. Tell your dream. Because until you say it, you haven't authenticated what heaven has said. And there must be an earthly witness for a heavenly proclamation before something can be triggered to become a fact. For every fact is established in the mouth of at least two or three witnesses. And so Joseph tells them because out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth is speaking. Joseph is pregnant. He's pregnant. And that means he's expecting. That means there's something in him that was put in there as a seed, but it's growing. The first sign for women in their biology or their gynecology is morning sickness. But after three months, it starts showing. He has not seen the baby yet. The mother has not seen the baby, but she feels the baby by her senses. You have not seen your baby yet your brainchild yet, but you can feel it by your faith womb. You understand? And everybody, after about three or four months, they start to see it. You walk different. Your husband especially knows that there's something wrong with you. Or sorry, there's something right with you. By the time you're seven, eight months, you need a relative. You need somebody who's going through what you're going through who can encourage you about this miracle brainchild you're carrying because they're carrying a miracle brainchild too. Their miracle is not as great as yours because it took her husband's seed to put the seed in her, but when it came to Mary, it was God who put his seed in her. So it was unbelievable to both women. And they say that as far as it concerned Mary, that the baby had stopped moving. They say, the scholars say. But when Mary walked into the room, Elizabeth was immediately baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
And the baby in her womb started jumping, suggesting that the baby had come back to life. Hallelujah. The reason why I'm here is because there's a relativity between the pulpit at House on the Rock and the pew at any House on the Rock. The pulpiteers are specially prepared and sent by God so that when they walk into your place and into your space and you're carrying a dream that you died to because of a pit or a prison or because of hateful brothers, you have to remember that a table is prepared before you in the presence of your enemies. That just because enemies are out there shooting their arrows at you, it doesn't mean that your baby has died. They may have hit you, but they can't kill your baby. They may hurt your feelings, but they cannot stop your destiny. Give me a witness, somebody. And Joseph is pregnant. God told me when I woke up this morning that there are a few hundred people in the family of House on the Rock, London, who are pregnant. I want you to go there and be their Mary. They are your Elizabeth. Go there and be their Mary. And let them know that you're carrying the seed of God. And when you walk in that door, the presence of two persons with the same calling, one as the forerunner, the other as the redeemer who needed his forerunner. And when the chemistry she takes place through four subcutaneous layers of flesh there's going to be a chemistry hallelujah the chemistry of today is going to make your baby leap again in your womb and remind you that you're still a carrier of destiny I prophesy to you that you will not miscarry your destiny you will not miscarry your 2024 future you will not miscarry in this decade of the open mouth in the name of Jesus shout yes somebody Shout it on the top of your voice. I will not miscarry my destiny because God said so. And he's a performer. He's not only intentional. He's not only a master planner. He's a performer of what he has planned. If you believe it, shout yes somebody and reach for your seat. In December of 1993, I was pregnant. I was pregnant in London in 92 when I pastored Axon Chapel here. I was pregnant for two, three years at that point. And I thought I was to deliver the baby here in London at Axon Chapel, Maidavale. I did not know that God did not allow Sarah to birth a child outside the promised land. She could not take in until she arrived in Canaan. Likewise, the baby that was born was not going to be another man's. God said, you are the apostle. And he sent me home. It felt like a pit and a prison. It did not feel like Potiphar's house at first. And then I'm trying to get my visa to come back to London to continue passing what is a bubbling church from 17 people to 500 in attendance every Sunday. We knew the high commissioner, the doors were not opening. He said, it's beyond my help. It's a home office matter. They are, they are investigating the case. So in my frustration, I could pray. In those days, I used to pray 12 hours a day. There's some people here who are aware of that reality. It was how we lived. Not because we're trying to clock 12. We, we were just all desperate. We wanted to see God in our generation. And one morning I was praying, thy will be done. And God paused me. He said, do you really mean that? On earth as it is in heaven, do you know my will for you in heaven? So I said, Father, I really mean it now. 
I don't have to go back to London. I want your will to be done in my life. Because somehow my, my revelatory faculty grasped in that moment that the will of God is the best place for me to be. Whether it's in a pit, whether it's under the victimization of the hatred of your brothers, or under a false accusation, or in Potiphar's house where things are going good for a while, or at the bottom of the prison when that's where you don't feel you should be, it is the perfect place for your destiny. And as soon as I said it, I could not get to the rest of the Lord's Prayer. God started to download House on the Rock, including House on the Rock London. And that's the blueprint we have followed this far. You're going to get a blueprint. It's, it's one of the signs that God is working with you when you get the plan that he has already planned. The plan he has already finished. And, and once you put your hand to the plow, it just starts working. There'll be problems, but you leap over the problems. You'll vanquish the foes. There'll be an ease until you are established. Then he will increase the fervor and the fierceness of your enemies. Hallelujah. And so um, I knew it was in me, but I didn't know what it looked like. You were carrying your first child. You didn't know what skin shade he would be, whether his hair would be curly more, curly less, whether his nose would be your husband's or yours or your grandfather's. You didn't know. You just knew you were carrying a baby. And this one is strong because of how he was kicking. Your baby we kick like never before from here forward. If you believe it, say amen. So that you have deep conviction that as, as outlandish as the promise of the baby is, you will know that it is for real. Mary had to know that because she had been with no man. Uh, Elizabeth didn't have to know that. But what she had to know was that my baby's still alive because she thought it was dead. But as it concerned Mary, Mary had to know that this is not a fibroid. This is not a phantom pregnancy. This is God in my belly that reduced himself to an infinitesimally small, smaller than a microscopic perception, less than a pinprick. Yet he was God. A pinprick, cell tissue, but God. Then a fetus the size of my thumb, but still God. Still Adonai, still Elohim, still El Eon, still El Shaddai, still the Waymaker, the Water Worker, still Jehovah Sikenu, Jehovah Makadesh, Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Shalom, still carrying Mary whilst Mary was carrying him. Phew. God. God. Somebody shout God. And so I must discuss with you the theology of hope. So, the theology of hope says, by the words of um, Jürgen Moltmann, that faith is when you earnestly believe the word of God to be true. Whilst hope goes further, and hope says that what you believe in the word of God to be earnestly true, you are also earnestly expecting that it, the word you believe to be true, will come to pass sooner or later, or better still, at the appointed time in your life. If you're with me on that, I want you to say to your neighbor, if it's true, and it's God who made it true, it's got to happen. Any moment from now, it could be 10 years or it could be in 10 seconds. That depends on God and whether your faith has reached the grasp where you take what is abstract that you believe but don't yet see and you pull it out of the invisible into the visible. Hallelujah to God. 
So he's expecting. He's expecting. And that's why out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks and it aggravates his brothers because they start believing it too. So they think they can stop him, but they can't stop what God has predesignated. Your destiny is what's keeping you alive. And so, racing to my close. Nothing that happened to Joseph in his life was accidental. The pit was not accidental. It was all in the plan. The fact that he wasn't born first but instead born first on level teens, was not accidental, it was all in the plan. That his father chose to give him the colored coat to the chagrin, angst, and pain of his brothers that elicited the worst kind of hatred and envy against Joseph, it was not accidental, it was all in the plan. That one day, his father said, go and check on your brothers in Dothan or Sukkor, and he couldn't find them there, and a man directed him to where they were, and when they saw him, a father said, here comes this dreamer, we will slay him, and we shall see what will become of his dream. The assassination plot was on, but it wasn't accidental it was all in the plan and when he got near them they planned to kill him right there but Judah who Judah, uh, like the Judah who sold Jesus unto the killers. This Judah said, let's not kill our brother. Instead, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites for a price. And this Judah also chose the Ishmaelites who were the most opportune at the time to be the transport system. That Abraham's mistake and Judah's commuting of a death sentence to a transportation it was not accidental. It was always in the plan. And in commuting the sentence from death to exile, they took his coat from his body. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That they didn't stop there, but killed a baby goat that was a symbol of Christ and dipped Joseph's coat in the blood and filled it up till it was no longer many colors. It was now all red. For it is written concerning Christ, he washed his vestments in the blood of grapes. And here is Joseph the shadow. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That Joseph rose from the bottom of a pit was not accidental. It was always in the plan to foreshadow to him that no matter where they put you, the rising power, otherwise known as the resurrection power of God, will pull you out from where they put you and will never be able to take you where they want you to go. It will take you where I I want you to go. Why? Because Joseph, nothing that happens in your life is accidental. It is always in the plan. While I catch my breath, tell two people, I don't know what you're going through, but it was not accidental. It is always in God's plan. They're hating on you. They're mistreating you. They don't recognize you. They don't like your gift. They push you to the side, but I want you to know it is not accidental. It is always in the plan. And they sold him to Spotify. Uh, after carting him across the desert in chains so that Joseph was trapped. He was chained. He was fettered to his destiny. It was a sign to him that Joseph, where I want you to go, no man can take you otherwise. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. When he arrived in Egypt, he is where he needs to be because his blessing was not yet appointed to Canaan. It was appointed to happen to him in the most powerful empire of the world at the time. And the right 
man, not from the periphery of the society or the periphery of the urban complex, but from the king's palace was the one who bought him. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. And that Joseph being with God and God being with him rose from the bottom, just like he did from the bottom of the pit, to the top of Potiphar's house. Uh, it was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That the eye of the madame of the house caught the fancy of Joseph and for two years tried to sleep in. And Joseph said, no, it was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That one day when nobody was in the house, she grabbed him by the coat and he escaped, leaving his coat in her hand. And she now had evidence because he had outgrown his first coat and it had to be taken from him. And now he was going to outgrow his second coat because he was going to a better location but not a better place. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. To save his boss's marriage, he did not argue like a lamb led to the slaughter. He opened up his mouth. And then they put him, not in any dungeon, but in the king's prison, where the king's prisoners were lodged. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That he meets the king's butler, who had recently acted out of character and done something wrong in the employ of the king. And likewise, the baker. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. Hear me, can I talk to you for a minute? There were three persons on the cross at Calvary. One was Jesus in the center. Beside him was the bad thief, the one that taught the other thief to become a thief. And the other thief was, was the man, Adam, whilst the really bad thief was Satan. And the one in the middle was the door to heaven. Hallelujah to God. And the guy uh, on the other side was the fellow who was standing at the door of hell and would come to heaven. And the other guy was standing at the door of heaven but would go to hell. Hallelujah. It was not accidental, but it was always in the plan. That's why when the butler gave his dream, he said, um, this is what I dream. And Joe said, in three days, you're going to be restored back to your job. That was the guy on this side of Jesus' cross. But the other guy was now bold to say, this is my dream. How are you going to interpret it for me? He said, in three days, they're going to call you up and they're going to gallow you and hang you till you are twice dead. Hallelujah. That was the other fellow on the other side of the cross. For Jesus said to the first guy, he said, this day, because of what you have said and how you believed in me on the cross, no need for retribution. You don't need to go and relent or repent of your sin. This day, you will be with me in paradise. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. He said to the butler, when you get out, remember me. Don't be surprised when people forget you. It's always in the plan. It's always in the plan. It was not accidental. The butler forgot him. That amnesia was not natural. It was supernatural. There are some people who will forget you. There are others who will forget you. There are others who will forget you. But God can never forget you. You are his suckling child. You are his baby. He can never forget you. Delays are not denials. It's not over until God says it's over. Hallelujah. I feel something in this room. Shout, it was not accidental. It was always in the plan. I am thankful to Yahweh that my God is the master planner. Look at a neighbor in the eyeball say, it's in the plan. I know it hurts you, but it's in the plan. I know you're uncomfortable, but it's in the plan. I know you're going through turmoil and tragedy, but it's all in the plan. I know they don't like your sudden meteoric rise, but it's all in the plan. Go to five people and tell them it's all in the plan. If you don't believe it, you don't have to say, but if you do, tell them it's all in the plan. 
that Pharaoh had a dream that the soothsayers could not interpret. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That the dreams were two was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That they would align together to make Joseph's dream come true and Joseph's dream will make Pharaoh's dream come true. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That nobody in Egypt could tell the king's dream. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That the bottlers of amnesia, amnesia vanished when the king had his dream. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. That his recommendation to Pharaoh worked. And Pharaoh said, this is fantastic and this is the recommendation. He said, king, you now need to set up a man who will administrate this entire business of preserving the fat cow years so that when the skinny cow years come, the skinny cows will not eat the fat cows and become skinny. But instead, the fat cows will eat the skinny cows and Egypt will become fat, fat. There's a Joseph in this room. Government, I don't know which country is going to call you. You may come in at Potiphar's house level as subservient, but I guarantee you, I don't know who you are. You are going to rise like Joseph Rose. The reason why I am here is primarily because of you. I don't know who you are or where you are, but it is for you. I feel it as well as I know my name is Paul Adeolu Adefarasi. You're going to come into a Joseph mantle and they're going to take it from you because that's not the real mantle. That's the, that's the promise. Then you're going to rise in your, in your preparational time, but they will take that from you too. And they'll put you in a lesser space but it's not lesser when you consider destiny. It's lesser when you consider luxury. It's not accidental. It is always in his plan. And at the right time, Joseph is summoned. Because now he has learned to not be manipulative about destiny. But to submit Come to on. destiny. The way Jesus had to submit to death. Otherwise he could not fulfill his destiny. Mm. And he submitted to it. He said, God, not my time, your time. It's not accidental. It's always in the plan. I have five minutes and 38 seconds to go. And so, it says, this thing is good. And you need to put a man over. The king says, which man again are we going to put out? Who can handle this matter? Except you. Because throughout my whole kingdom, nobody could tell me my dream. There are some things that are reserved for you. Nobody else will ever touch them. He will give you utterance. He will give you wisdom. You will walk powerfully in the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And you have understanding, quick understanding. Your understanding is going to be accelerated in this age where writing of books is many and knowledge will increase. It was not accidental. It was always in the plan. And so Joseph rises. Nobody could lift a hand or a foot or take a decision in that land without Joseph's permission. He had the second chariot. He had the king's robes. His royal slippers were waiting for him in the royal palace. His royal uh, house, mansion, where everything was settled for him. It was more about God getting Joseph ready. Eye has not seen, neither has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. It's time to love God. And that's why preachers are sent so that we can show you what your God is like. So when you see him for who he truly is, not what the religious preach, not what the old covenant religionists preach, not the folk who say to you, uh, you, you have to die to get to heaven. Nonsense. No utter nonsense. Pause. If I have to die before I experience heaven, there's something wrong with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
for me. I don't know about you. When I got born again, I was instantly translated into heaven. My body remained here, but I had a thing going on in my spirit where I felt that I am seated beside the most powerful. I felt I was above principalities and powers. I felt that I could see the way God sees. It took church to teach me otherwise. <laughs> Do you understand? John 3, verse 3 and verse 5. He says to Nicodemus at about 2 a.m. in the morning or something like that. He says, you cannot see heaven until you are born again. The word see in the Greek there is experience. Verse 5. He said, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Same thing. Then he says to Nicodemus, he says, no man has gone to heaven and come down from heaven except the son of man. There are two on earth. Who is in heaven? So he's in heaven and earth. That is the proper Christian life. Jesus never preached Christianity. He preached the kingdom. Christian is mentioned once in the Bible and it means to be like Christ. To be like Christ is what? In heaven and earth. You are a spirit being. You have a soul and you live in a body. When you look in your mirror, you will never see you. You will see your body, your house, your tabernacle. When you look at your behavior, you will see your soul. And you will know what level of renewal you're in based on how much word you have allowed to convert your soul. So that you can enjoy the complicity of your spirit in heaven with your mind and your emotions walking in heavenly ways. Then you will be able to transmit heaven on earth. That is our mantle and our mandate. As you see me so, not only here I do. I can't talk like this without a consciousness that I am in heavenly places. Now my awareness, your doctrine, our awareness, uh, your awareness, my doctrine is that we are in heavenly places. Yes. Ephesians 1, 3, Ephesians 2, 6. Then again, John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord and I heard the voice of God say, come up here. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 to 25. Hallelujah. Say, this is not accidental. This is not accidental. It was always in the plan. It was always what does he tell us in Hebrews 12, 22? He says, we are come, not we are going to. We are come unto the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Not the Jerusalem in Israel, the Jerusalem in heaven. City of the living God um, and unto an innumerable company of angels. We are come unto the general assembly and the government. That's the word ecclesia that King James translated as church. Church comes from the, the, the uh, Celtic word kirka, which is Stonehenge. Cults. Witchcraft covens. That's what it means. And King James put that word there because he did not want the church to know that she's the government of God. That's what ecclesia means. It means cabinet. That's the people who are called to the king for the king to reveal his purpose, his will, and his intent to them so that they, they create public policy and enforce it. And they're given the power with the king's seal to do it. Who is the king's seal? The precious Holy Spirit. God in you. Gosh. If you get this, you probably need to listen to this tape about 10, 20 times to get it all. And so, um, this is what Joseph is. The king does not know the mind of the creator, but Joseph does. Who is the real king? The king realized who the real king on earth was. Because Joseph, I don't know how to explain it, he had a heaven on earth experience. So even in the pit, he had luxury. Even in the prison for something he didn't do wrong, he had luxury. What was his luxury? In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And when you want to pull your consciousness to where your spirit is, your consciousness is in your soul. 
Your spirit is already conscious of heaven. That's the, that's the thing that leaps inside of you. How do you do it? David said, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me. You get it? Let me tell you about entering his gates. Sickness cannot follow you past the gates. Grief cannot follow you into the glory. The pain you feel in your emotions, it has to back out and back down once you enter the gates. Some of you don't praise God enough. You have to wait for the choir. Sometimes the choir is not even really in the space. How can they take you where your sickness will disappear? We prioritize spirit life, heaven to earth life, the above life in House on the Rock. I don't let anybody sing here unless they are anointed. They have to be because there are people with yokes and limitations and you are there to make everybody conscious that I am a heavenly being in heavenly places but I live in a body on earth for mission. Shout out somebody tell them it's not accidental. It's always in the plan. Can I go a little further? So Joseph becomes very great. He builds more silos in the first seven years. It takes administrative skill takes management skill, and this is why he was prepared in his father's house and in Potiphar's house and in the prison. Management in a prison. Management in a captain's house. Hallelujah. So that he could manage on a different level. Everything is about scale. If you can do 12, you can do 120. If you can do 120, you can do 1,200. If you can do 1,200, you can do 12,000. 12,000, 1.2 million or 120,000. 120,000, 1.2 million, 12 million, then it becomes exponential. But you have to scale. Somebody shout scale. Yeah. I want everybody involved in this. We can scale this church from maybe 500 members, some online. We can scale it to 5,000. Not because 5,000 is an important number, but scale is important to your mental health. If you're not growing, you're dying. If you're not increasing, you're regressing, you're decreasing. If you're not going up, you're going down. There's nothing like stationary in the kingdom of heaven. Somebody shout on the count of three. Everybody, I will scale. One, two, three. There are about 20 people who did not add their voice. Everybody. Say it again, real loud. And he now, in all the provinces, of the empire. He's building mold silos, they're growing, they're taking advantage of the bumper harvest for seven years, knowing that, that the lean cow years will come. But the lean cow years did not affect Egypt negatively. It increased Egypt positively. So they came from all the nations, please, we're hungry, give us grain. He had plenty to give and plenty left over. And he charged them a premium for it. The economy of Egypt went up, why? was the plan so that Egypt would be a good enough incubator to grow the Canaanites or rather the Israelites into far more numbers than the Egyptians. When they ran out of money, they were still hungry. They came. The world is hungry for what you have. They're hungry for who you have. You have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have the creator life. 
said, we don't have money. He said, what do you have? We have land. They gave them all, sorry, we have cattle. We have livestock. They gave them all their livestock. They were still hungry after they expended that. They came back again and said, we, we don't have money. We don't have livestock. What do you have? We have land. Egypt became more imperial and acquired more land on freehold, not leasehold. Any land you buy in Nigeria is leasehold. You don't own it. It's a lease. 100 years or 99 years. I don't know how they do it here, but it's only the aristocracy, the queen, the king's family that have freehold on land. From what I remember, I could be wrong, so don't hold me to that. I said, we don't have any money. We have no land. We have no cattle. So oh, we will take you. And they became manpower, slaves to Egypt because of Joseph. Till tomorrow, the American Department of Agriculture saves 25, sorry, 20% of all their agricultural produce. America will never starve because of the Joseph mandate. It's still working today. Hallelujah. Among those that came were the children of Jacob. The change in Joseph's life was so amazing that they did not recognize him when they saw their own brother. Your change. Within 13 years from now, for some of you to be 13 days, others 13 weeks, some 13 months, some 13 years, some much less, your change will be so complete that people who know you today, they will not recognize you tomorrow. There are people who I walk past them, they cannot reconcile Adeolu of 45 years ago to the Adeolu or Pastor Paul. Now, sorry, the Metropolitan Senior Pastor of All House on the Rock. They can't reconcile it. People who you used to look up to, now they don't know how to handle you. I prophesy over your life. People you don't know how to handle. In 13 years maximum, they will not know how to handle you. That's why it's good to be humble whilst you're rising. And he didn't reveal himself to them on the first visit. He gave them what they wanted, tortured them a little bit, and he said to them, leave Simeon here. You people are spies. He said, no, we are all honest children of a good father. And uh, one of our brothers is dead. Eh. And uh, 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 our father is an aged man. Uh, and the, the little child is there with him. We, we left him there. He said, go and bring him. I want to know if you're telling the truth. And he held Simeon as shorty. By the time Joseph got back, or by the time the brothers got back, and they told the man, we met this guy there. He gave us this stuff. But he said he wants your second favorite, your now favorite. He was upset. He said, you are sending me to the grave, bereaved. Simeon is gone, or Joseph is gone, Simeon is gone. Now you want to take Ben-Hamin. Ben-Hamin is a symbol of the church, whilst Joseph is a symbol of Christ, the head of the church. Do you get it? So he reaches for his own full brother. The others were half-brothers. Why you have problems with certain people who call themselves Christians? They are in a different covenant. They have a different mother, but you have the same father. That's why they don't dig you. They don't get you. You understand? So they are half-brothers. It's the half-brothers that give you problems. It's true. What he said is, it's not accidental. It's all in the plan. That's what he just said. So eventually they bring Benjamin. And Joseph is broken to tears. He sends all the Egyptians out. And he's going to be vulnerable. And he reveals himself to his brothers. 
that I'm not just the powerful Pharaoh, I am your kith and kin. Because in order to be redemptive, you must be relative. You understand? So Jesus became our relative by taking a body. So that when he goes back to heaven, he goes back our brother and resumes being God Almighty in operations, not just in incarnation. You understand what I'm saying? So when we go to the father, we go in the name of the brother. They could ask Pharaoh anything in Joseph's name because the best thing that happened to Pharaoh was Joseph. The best thing that happened to the father is Jesus went to reclaim his human creation and made it possible so that anybody who believed upon him, to them he gave the power to become, to return to being the sons of God. You get it? So Jacob cries out. He said, all these things are against me. It's not against you, Joseph. You're looking at it from one perspective. That what you lost, Joseph and Simeon, and now you presume the same will happen to Benjamin. You didn't lose them. God just took them away from your purview to put them under a special development program. That in the 13 years, Joseph was out of town and out of sight and you thought he was dead. You should have remembered that blood is for redemption, Jacob. Joseph was crafted from your little baby boy to become the most powerful man in the whole world, not just the nations, but the whole world. Why was this important? Jacob had given up on the dream that his grandfather heard, that his father heard, that he heard, that when Joseph told the dreams to Jacob, Jacob knew this boy is the one hearing what Abraham, Isaac, and myself heard. This is the baton. This is the man who will take the baton. Do you get it? I hope you do. London, you must take the baton. There's a mandate on this church. This church went through the pit. It was put in Potiphar's house. It's taken a lot of heat. It's in its last days in the dungeon. The king is going to send for House on the Rock. I don't mean Charles III. They're going to send for House on the Rock. And House on the Rock is going to rise to interpret the dreams of nations. And from this house, you will groom the kings, the envoys, the leaders of thought for many nations in the world. You are not in the capital of the world by happenstance. It's deliberate. None of these things are against you. That the brothers came and they did not know it was their brother. They said to him, and I'm closing on this note, then we pray briefly. They said, this guy is going to ruin us all when they realized it was Joseph. He said, calm down. You meant it for evil. You wanted to ruin me. But God took your wickedness and he allowed it because he saw this day when he would incorporate it into the plan that what you meant for evil, he would work it for good according to his original plan. So I am here, Joseph said, to preserve a posterity. The problem with my country in Africa is that our politicians, they're not interested in the posterity of Nigerians. They're not interested even in their own children and they're looking only at themselves. But we must raise leaders of thought in the church who are concerned about global posterity and the sustainability of the human race and that all men must have equity, not necessarily equality, but equal opportunity so that we too can rise. I want to say to you that the Joseph nations, many of them are in the global south. There's going to be a sudden shift. I don't know how God will do it, but these people are crazy. They will kill themselves. Then we will come to our right mind. And what you saw on the stage at the beginning, it will happen. Amen. It's already happening 
Nigerians are some of the best people on the earth. The problem with Nigeria is Nigerian political process and people. The majority, not all, but the majority. Do, do you get what I'm saying? God's going to flip it. How he would do it, we have a plan. I'll share it with you another time. But look at what God will do. He's going to raise you. And whilst you're rising from the pit, you feel glad for release. Then you enter Potiphar's house, oh, relief. And then you, you're, you're, in fact, you're happy to settle there. God will not let you settle in Canaan. He won't let you settle in the pit. And even Potiphar's nice house for nine years, he won't let you settle there. He still has a connection. It's not accidental. It's always, always in the plan. 13 years he was in process. But it wasn't accidental. It was always in the plan. I want to leave one thought with you, then we will pray. You know, when Joseph's brothers came, Joseph was thanking them, Pastor Temi. Thank you. <laughs> because the fact that when it was in your power to bless me, you wanted to kill me. I would not be here if it wasn't that you did that to me. Have you been somewhere before where God has blessed you because they fired you from the job? And it closed the door, but God used that opportunity to open another door? Or they trod on you in the company, they didn't let you rise? Uh, but now you've risen because the head honcho of the company discovered you and said, who did this job? Your boss was getting the credit, but you were the one who really did the job. You understand what I'm saying to you? And so now you've risen up and you're in the C-suite, COO, and your boss has been promoted to the whole co-CEO, and you're about to become the CEO. You can go back to the people who hurt you and say, thank you. You, you, you meant it for evil. But God intended it for good. And I'm so glad that you didn't bless me when it was in your power to bless me. You didn't help me when it was in your power to help me. You mistreated me when you, you could have treated me appropriately. And if you hadn't done what you did, I wouldn't be who I am today and I wouldn't be where I am today. I had the opportunity to become bitter. But when I saw you walk in the door on the first visit, I lost any remaining iota of bitterness. Because I realized that my job was all because of you that I went through all the hell I went through because of you to preserve your posterity. Zebulon, Gad, Naphtali, Simeon, Judah, Reuben, all of them, it was because of you. So because of your wickedness and because of your future, that's why I'm here. Your wickedness brought me here. So if you can get that, you can become prophetic and start thanking people before their wickedness produces the dividends. Because you trust God. Let me say this to you. The Hebrews call 2024 the year 5784. When you put those numbers together, five is the number of grace for many reasons. Seven is the number of perfection. In this year, you're going to see the abundance of abounding grace that you will never have insufficiency for any good work that you are engaged in. Number two, it is this year that God will perfect all that concerns you. It may feel like a prison, but that's where you will become perfect. And then you'll be summoned to your palace of fulfillment of God's promises in your life. Number eight, five, seven, eight. Eight is the number of new beginnings. That's a new day a new level on another dimension. Hallelujah. And four, for the Hebrews, it is the, the, the number of fulfillment through open doors. 
Hallelujah. I researched a little further and I discovered that the years or the decade 80s, 80s in the Hebrew calendar, the 5780s is the decade of the open mouth. I declare to you at House on the Rock and particularly to you, Pastor Tammy, your mouth will open your doors and their doors. When Joseph opened his mouth in front of the Pharaoh, it opened the door for Israel. It opened the door for God's grand plan. It opened the door for Jesus to not die in the pit with Judah or with Joseph your mouth will open our doors there's some of us in that responsibility and the mouth is not arbitrary it does not exist on its own the mouth is the overflow valve of the heart that's why in a few moments we're going to pray according to Colossians 3 verse 16 that the word of God will dwell richly in your heart in all prudence knowledge understanding and wisdom so that out of the rich abundance of wisdom and prudence of the knowledge of the word of God as it pertains to your destiny and the destiny of your kith and kin and clan and country your mouth will speak and we don't only speak in church, you speak in trouble. You speak on the bus, you speak in the tube. You speak in the board meeting, you speak when you're being interrogated or there's a query before you. When you speak, you're going to open doors. Amen. You will speak and close doors that you don't need in your life. But you will also speak and open doors. Um, so, first thing we want to pray about but before we pray, I want you to read with me Psalm 105. And it's the last scripture, Psalm 105. And we're reading from verse 17. Let's stand on our feet to read this. The he there is God. He sent a man before them. Even Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Servant is an incorrect translation. Verse 18, whose feet they hurt or bound with fetters, he was laid in iron. He was constrained to that destiny with iron. Verse 19, until, somebody shout, my time is coming. Look at another name and tell my time is round the corner. They hurt his feet with fetters and he was laid in iron until the time that his words Came, I add to pass. Until the time that his word came to pass, he was held in arm and laden with fetters. The word of the Lord tried him. You know what's trying you now? The word of God. Satan wants to see if the word over your life will come to pass. And his job is to prevent it. But the more he tries to prevent it, the more he's enabling it. Verse 20. The king then sent... And loose Joseph, even the rule of the people, and he let Joseph go free. And then he made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his senators wisdom. A kingly person is going to release you. Somebody at the top of their game is going to, let's pray. Number one, we want to pray that you will not miscarry your brainchild, your brainchildren, and your destiny. Lift up your two hands and begin to pray in your heavenly language. That I, name your name. Uh, let's lift your, lift your right hand. Let's do this together. Say, Heavenly Father, by the majesty and might of your providence, I make bold to stand on your promised word and plan over my life. And I declare, I will not abort. Neither will I miscarry 
your destiny plan for my life. I declare wholesomely, fully well, a man child, a man brain child shall be born of my faith womb. And I will nurture that child till that child becomes my deliverance and the deliverance of my generation. I declare to be so. And I, and I want you now to release your heavenly language and begin to pray in your, your heavenly speech. Command the womb and its matrix to open wide at the appointed time, at the set time, that out of your belly will flow not only rivers of living waters, but the child, the brain child, the destiny child, the thing that's going to make you. My friends, House on the Rock was a brain child, it was a spiritual gift from heaven. And different surrogates have carried their own child, House on the Rock, at different times. When Pastor Temi inherited the leadership of this church, this church was completely in chaos and crisis. It was diminished down to but a small score of people. And by the goodness of God with him, God has helped him to build it to this level and he will take it further in the name of Jesus Christ. The matrix will open wide and out of you will come what the nations will acclaim as mighty, as glorious, and that this can only be God. I declare it in your life. From this house, great leaders will emerge to traverse the nations. I want you to believe it and I want you to spend time in your quiet time, in your prayer time, in your home, declaring over your life and your family members you will not miscarry. Number two, you ask pastor, how do I believe it? I'll tell you how you believe it. You believe it by hearing and hearing according to the word of God. This is the message you ought to listen to frequently and make notes till it becomes woven to the fabric of how you see, how you understand, and how you believe. The next thing I want us to pray about is that you will have the word of God dwelling you richly in all wisdom and prudence. It's in Colossians 3 verse 16. You can read that then. And at the same time, we're taking two prayer points at a time because of time. This is your year and I proclaim it over you. It's a year of divine acceleration. The years that the canker worm, the years that the palmer worm, the years that the locust, the years that the caterpillar ate up, those years will be restored to you and to compress what may be five years for some, ten years for others, twelve years for some more. God is going to compress those years that within twelve months, within thirteen years, within thirteen weeks, within thirteen days, God's going to accelerate it and acceleration is never painless. But if you learn to walk in your staying power, let your inner man be strengthened with might according to his glorious power in your inner man for all long suffering yet with joy, then you will be able to stand through the hour and you'll come through as fine gold. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you will rise to new levels of promotion. Like Daniel, you will rise to being prime minister. I want you to now begin to pray and declare wisdom of the word dwell in me richly. 
in all prudence and understanding that I will not settle for the ceilings that the United Kingdom has put over people like me. I will not settle for brass or glass ceilings. I remove the limitations because of the anointing oil. The yoke shall be removed from your neck and the yoke shall be destroyed and the burden shall be removed from your shoulder like a bird, an eagle who has found her wings. You will find your wind and your wings will carry you to heights you never knew before. If you believe it, shout amen and keep praying. We declare divine acceleration in your life. And I want you to pray through on divine acceleration. I want you to carry your, your heavenly language from deep in your belly and let it flow. Don't stop praying this point until your river is flowing. Until your tongues are flowing nicely and neatly. Flowing like a gushing river. The Bible said in Psalm 81 verse 10, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God wants to fill your heart with the richness of this prophetic word and with all companion scriptures around this so that out of the abundance of your heart, they won't have to tell you to proclaim, to prophesy or to declare over your life that new job, that new career path, that new dimension, that shift in your pathway. You are not going to get it with the mouth closed. You're going to have to open your mouth. To open your mouth and not be empty words or clouds without water, you have to enrich your soul with the richness of the living word. Milk belongs to babies, but strong meat belongs to them who are full age, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to see clearly differences and to know which to choose I don't want you to be shy I want you to know God will fulfill his promises in your life some of you are far behind where you ought to be but God is going to catch you back up to time he's going to catch you back up to a new level for some of you, he may cause you to have the overcomer and the overtaker's anointing. For others, he's just going to switch the stage so that though you are last, you will become first. I want you to grab one person by two hands. And I want you to pray for your neighbor that your neighbor will not be taken by bitterness. Because people who are called according to they have to deal with a lot of issues. A lot of things come by their way. You got the great job, it's nice, but all of a sudden people start misliking you because the head honcho favors you. And you're tempted right there to become bitter. I have to face the temptation of bitterness every day. Every day. Sometimes I say, God, carry this your calling and leave me alone. I spend hours and sometimes whole nights just weeping. I want you to pray for your neighbor. That they won't get bitter, they will get better. Joseph did not get bitter. Why? He kept using his gift to bless others. Bitterness will choke your ability to bless others. Don't let that happen because it's your service with your gift that recommends you to higher opportunity. If you are faithful in little, you will be faithful in much. If you are faithful in much, you will be faithful in more.
I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. St. John said, and I heard a voice behind me saying, come here. Some versions render it, come higher. Others say, come hither. And I will show you what was, what is, and what is to come. I'll give you perspective on God's level so that you won't misinterpret your circumstances, John. Because if you see it only from the terrestrial perspective, you're going to misjudge the opportunity and the potential of my promise and power in your life. And this is a mandate to you as an individual. God is saying to you, spend time being in the spirit where your consciousness is beyond the gates. It's beyond the courts. It's in the Shekinah glory, behind the veil, in the rendezvous with the glorious one and all his glory. And in that glory, there will be transformation in your life. In that glory, the weights and the sin that easily beset you will be put aside. In that glory, your perspective and your vision will become bright like Joseph and you will see the future as part of how badly your brothers treat you you will then understand that thou preparest the feast for me in the presence of my enemies and when things get bad you won't get sad when things get bad you will get real glad because you have a better perspective that perspective is when you are born on the wings of the spirit of God and you enter the Shekinah realm of God's glory far above all principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age in spiritual heights and wicked spirits in high places when you are above you see more clearly I summon you out of the region of darkness and I declare you will not live in darkness any longer I declare great light has come to you and will abide with you that the light himself will shine in the crevices of your heart to light up the dark places where you had confusion little understanding or no understanding you will now get understanding I declare it in your life I declare it in your church I declare it in your now I declare it as healing for your past I declare it as re reality for your future in the name of Jesus I want you to release your heavenly language stronger I want you to get louder I want you to get better it's getting brighter for you your year of open doors fulfillment and it's your mouth that will open the doors you will not miscarry this 24 you will not miscarry it's the decade of the mouth you must use your mouth to use your mouth you must fill your heart he said open your mouth I will fill it in other words, I will give you what to say It'll be so abundant in your heart that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will overflow with the rich treasure that I put in you and giving you understanding of through the word of God. I proclaim health, wholeness and healing in your body, in your life, in your world. I declare unusual wisdom, supernatural wisdom is your portion. You have about 60 seconds left to pray for your neighbor. And if you're already done, I want you to start proclaiming no miscarriage, only acceleration and the strength to bear the speed and the safety systems in place for the acceleration. Declare this is your year of fulfillment. That means the fulfillment of God's promises. There's a plan of God over your life. and your doors are open. You have 10 more seconds and we have one prophetic action that we must do. You can round up your prayers now in Jesus' name. Please give me some attention for a few more moments. This is important. James was killed two nights earlier 
And when the king saw that it pleased the Sanhedrin and the Jews, he now thought to take Peter, who was the visible head of the church, and kill him in the morning. But he couldn't because that day was a holy day, a feast day. So he had to defer it one day. God will give you time. And Peter was now to be killed the following morning. And when he should be panicked, and I hardly know of anybody on death row that was sleeping on the night, they were to, the night before the morning they were to die. Peter was sleeping. That when the angel came, the angel had, the Bible said it smote him. The word smote is present continuous. And Peter was still snoring. That's what you call peace. In your waiting time, I declare over your life, the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind to keep your mind in the garrison of God that you will not be affected by what you see with the eye. Your revelation will dominate your situation. That you will have peace in which your mind can function. Hallelujah to God. And when the angel woke up, Peter said, put on your slippers. In other words, get your mobility ready. That means your upward mobility in the way I will want to translate it or in, in, interpret it to you today. And Peter was behind three sets of guards. There was no way out. But the angel walked with Peter. And the doors, the first word, it opened of its own accord. Doesn't mean that there was nobody opening it. Just means that you couldn't see them. The things which are not seen are what create the things which we see. And Peter's still in awe. He thinks it's a dream. What God is about to do in your life, it will feel like a dream. I'm living a dream. You will live your dream. They got to the second one. These were impassable. Normally we hear that he will break in pieces the iron bars and cut asunder the gates of brass. This is not what happened. Locked, they came to the third gate. The angel was with Peter. You may not see him, you might, but the angel of God is with you. Amen. That amen sounds like unbelief. Amen. And the, the third gate, which was iron, it opened of its own accord and Peter was on the path to take him to where he was going. He was going to road us out. I want you to do this. This is not a doctrine. It's a prophetic action. There was a king who was told to take the arrow and beat it several times. He only beat it three times. He was rebuked by the prophet because he would have been given a bigger victory, but he didn't carry out the prophetic. All week, last week, I've been doing this since God gave us the word. Just been opening doors. Just opening doors. Can you sense the anointing? Doors are going to open of their own accord. Call those you didn't have the key for. And then Peter arrived at his destination. Peter arrived at his destination. He knocked on the door. Rhoda came to the door and he said, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's the rock, it's the rock. She was so excited that she forgot to open the door. I prophesy over your life. Your excitement will not intoxicate you. You will remember to open your door. Rhoda in her excitement, she forgot to open the door Peter was begging for. She ran into the house and she told them, he said, Peter is at the door. They said, Rhoda, you're crazy. They said, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. What they were praying for 
God had answered them. Rhoda wasn't crazy. She had master mind. You will see what they said you cannot see. You will see, you will see the kingdom at work in your life. You will see it. Hallelujah. And they said, no, it must be his angel. Yes, his angel was there, but he had slipped from visible to invisible. I bet he was right there with Peter. How is it that Acts 2, 42, 43, the church, prayer was made by the church for Peter unto God. And they didn't believe that God would do it. God had done it. Oh, a little girl. Praises perfected in the mouth of babes and succulents came to tell them they didn't believe her. Watch out. Your messenger that your breakthrough has come, that what you're praying for is at the door, may be somebody you don't regard as qualified to give you that information. Eventually, somehow, because she insisted, is Peter at the door? She didn't give up. They went to the door, they opened the door, and guess what was there? The thing they were praying for. What you're praying for, that means you must spend this time praying. It's going to come and knock at your door. Amen. In fact, for others of you, before you prayed, he has already answered. Before you called, he had already heard. Your Peter is at the door. Go and open the door. I want you to take the next 60 seconds and speak to your door. That the thing you have prayed to the door must come in. Open your door. Open your door with your mouth. Open your door with your mouth. Open your door with your mouth. Open your door with your fingers. Come on, guys, I want you to play. Open the door. Praise opens your consciousness to the heavens. And Peter kept knocking until they opened the door. He knew it was dangerous for him to remain at the door. He needed to go into another place. You have 60 more seconds. I want you to get aggressive on the keyboard, on the bass guitar, on the lead guitar, the drums. I want you to go to war. Many are passing through the second heaven. It's not your dwelling place, it's your warring place. But there's a higher level of warfare when you are seated in heavenly places and the enemy is under your feet. Not on the same level with you. There's a rising spirit in your life. There's a spirit that will raise you and continue to lift you. You have just 60 more seconds. Just 60 more seconds. The thing you've been praying for, it's making its way to your door or it's already at your door, or its doors are being opened so they can make it to your street and then onto your door mouth. The next blessing in your life is going to lead you into great heights. What was released from behind doors was the leader of the church. God is releasing the leadership of this house to new levels of mantle, mandate, anointing, ability to break brass ceilings, glass ceilings, and limiting yokes. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church. 
the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on hotr.org.uk.